0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45
1: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the AusBiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you, for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the afternoon here on Ausbiz. Great to have your company for the next hour or so on what we call The Call. Uh, we take a look at 10 stocks suggested by you. We put them to an expert panel. What a panel we have today. Uh, Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Howard, how are you? Welcome.
0: Yeah, good to be on again and good to see you.
2: Uh, Scott Phillips from uh, Motley Fall. Scott, always have a great year. Great to have you aboard from the Southern Highlands. Thank you, Kashi. Good to be with you. Nice to uh, get back in some stocks this week. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a good list of stocks today. Um, let's get yeah. straight into it. Thought I'd take a look um, because a fair bit of happening in the commodity space today. So I thought we'd zoom in on Vulcan Energy, the lithium play, entering a trading hold ahead of a $200 million equity raise at $13.50 a share. The lithium explorer says the proceeds will go Um, into its exploration infrastructure and expansion of the company's zero carbon lithium project, which is being trialled in Germany. The move fits into the company's broader plan to become the world's first zero carbon lithium company with phase one production rolling out in 2024. Falcon is set to um, be part of the ASX 300 on Friday. Look at their share price. It's backed by Gina Reinhart, has been a real star performer on the markets over the last year or two. Scott Phillips, uh, what do you think of the announcement and Vulcan?
1: Koshi, I am not a fan, can I say. And this is not a question of Vulcan specifically. It's a question of lithium in general. This is a $1.8 billion company. Still hasn't turned a buck. Now, I'm not allergic to loss-making companies. I've owned Amazon for years, and they've been barely profitable for most of that time. So I know what it's like to own a business not making any cash. The problem is investors are assuming that the volumes are deliverable. They're assuming the volumes are commercializable. That's now a word. And they're also assuming the lithium price stays high enough for everyone to make a buck, even after these capital raisings. I did some numbers, lithium, sorry, lithium Vulcan, three years ago had 31 million shares outstanding. Two years ago, 67 million shares. Then 108 million shares. Now they're raising more capital again today. If they can put it to good use, if they can deliver an economic return for shareholders, it's a great idea and a great decision. They should do it over and over again. Frankly, if you're going to raise capital, you want to do it at a high price and a stock that's up, as we saw on that chart, 1,600%. Now, it's probably a very good time to raise some capital rather than half of this price or a 10th or one sixteenth of the price as it was back in the day. So I don't blame them if they want to. If they genuinely think they have a business to, to run, they genuinely think there's opportunity there and investors are going with their eyes open, then this is not necessarily the world's worst thing. The problem is that it's very, very hard to know the answer to most of those questions I raised at the beginning. That is... How long will it take? Can it be commercializable? And what's the realized price and therefore profitability of Vulcan? I've talked before about the oil price. It's hardly gone up over the last century. Inflation adjusted, maybe doubled in inflation adjusted terms over a century. And that's despite the fact that oil consumption has gone absolutely through the roof. A century ago, we were barely driving cars. Today oil is used right around the economy as we well know. And yet the price in real terms has only just doubled. So it's one of those things you wanna be a little bit careful of. I'm not going there. If you're a commodity investor and you want to have a go and you like zero carbon, you like lithium, I get why it's sexy. It's sexy as hell. I'm just not sure whether I want to invest my money in it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Really interesting comparisons there. Um, Howard, what do you think of Vulcan and, and the rise? Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm fairly much saying the same sort of thing, I think, as Scott. Um, lovely idea. I mean, uh, when, when I was studying physics at the university in the late 1960s, um, there was all this talk about geothermal energy. And in that time, which is over 50 years ago, I can't tell you how many companies I've got enthused about. Fortunately, I haven't put my money into them, but I've got enthused about, wow, look at the signs they're doing. Look at what they're going to do with geothermal energy. And this one combines geothermal energy um, at the same time with lithium, at the same time with zero carbon, and it's in the Europe. You know, you couldn't have a lot of things that sounded nicer, but as Scott says, they've had a capital raising every year, they're talking about building a lithium hydroxide plant. Now, lithium hydroxide plants are going to eat up many times the $200 million that they're raising in this capital raising. I mean, West Farmers and Rio and uh, Albemarle with mineral resources are building lithium hydroxide plants. These are hugely expensive plants that need a huge amount of complex engineering and uh, cost a hell of a lot more than $200 million. So this isn't going to be the last capital raising. And as Scott says, uh, where's any demonstration that this will ever make any money? So as an ex-scientist, I'm enthused about what they're doing. As an investor, and I'm sure all our Team Invest members would have exactly the same point, uh, we'd look at the figures for it over the last four years, increasing losses every year, and we'd shudder and say, great idea, hope they succeed. No thanks, (laughs) don't want to put my money into it.
2: Yeah, yeah. All right, let's start getting into the uh, stocks that you want us to have a look at. And Howard, um, first one up is Alliance Aviation Services. Now, during the pandemic, I would suggest it's probably the most profitable airline in the world. Uh, <laughs> it's got, it's had a great niche. Many would think it's a, a mine, maybe a mining services uh, company rather than an airline, but uh, it's a it's a charter airline. It's services. A lot of the mining camps uh, here in Australia um, and also leases a lot of its uh, planes to some of the uh, the bigger airlines around the country. What do you think of uh, Alliance? I've been on a bit of a capital spree as well, haven't they, or investment spree in new planes yes. during this time.
0: Yeah, I mean, as the airlines go, this is an extraordinarily well run airline. But you have to say as airlines go because the airline industry is an extraordinarily difficult industry for anybody to make any money in you've got high capital costs uh and you need very very high utilization in order to make those capital costs pay off over a long long period of time so it's it's really an industry with a lot of flaws um sounds very sexy everybody likes to fly in airplanes hence we like to believe that they it would be a good industry to be in but airlines have almost never made money for investors throughout history and um while this is good for an airline its return on equity uh, over all the years has barely scraped 10 percent which is not bad by the way for an airline uh, it's very really good for an airline um but you know uh, it, Airlines are the sort of things that investors are generally better off avoiding. And while they've done well because of the mining boom, uh, which is part of uh, a big part of their uh, business, um, you know, uh, when all the other airlines find flying around much easier, um, it's not going to be quite as simple for them. So uh, definitely from a team invest point of view, it would be a no. We wouldn't be enthused about any airline. OK, Scott.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with Howard Koshy, I think. If you think about the way this business makes its money, obviously it has to buy the planes or lease the planes and then put backsides on seats. Now, to some degree, it does have some cover. It's probably got most of its business contracted. And I dare say a vast majority of the new investment it makes in those new planes is backed by contracts, as you would hope so. That's why I'd be running the airline if I was given a choice. Um, You simply only want to buy the planes or lease the planes when the opportunity arises to actually fill them and put them somewhere, send them somewhere. That is a nice business to have. I think the first thing you've got to be mindful of is, of course, what happens when the business dries up? What are the obligations you're left with? Um, If it is flexible enough, you can return the planes, sell the planes, do something else, and I guess it's fine. It kind of reminds me, you mentioned mining services, and as you were introducing it, it reminded me of Mermaid Marine back in the day. A wonderfully profitable business, while all of its assets were being utilized, phenomenally profitable. Because you can charge a small fortune in terms of premium when you're leasing these things out. As soon as the customers go away, Mermaid's bring customers went away in large numbers. Emiko is another business of the same sort of ilk. Uh, at one point, Emiko in Indonesia had zero uh, utilization of all of its assets. And then you've got to pay the bills and no one is is paying your bills. You've got to pay someone else's bills. It's a tough business to be in when you're leveraging effectively a capital asset. To Howard's point, that's why return on equity remains so low, because you're having to reinvest in more and more and more. There are very little scale advantage here. It's almost a, a per airplane or a per uh, flight. ROI you're looking at, and that makes it a, a really, really tough thing to get the the return on investment up much above that 10 maybe 15% in a really, really good year. It's a well-run airline, as Howard says. It probably is, as you said, the most profitable airline in the world. Um, unfortunately, that's not enough for me, particularly at the current price. It's 18-odd times earnings. Um, maybe there's a price if you're a bargain hunter, as Howard said. Probably still a, a questionable investment over the long term, but you want a much, much cheaper price than 18 times earnings.
2: Yep, absolutely. All right, let's stick with the... Um uh, with the travel industry, and um, uh, Scott wants a view on Hello World, uh, mm. the big travel agency. Uh, federal government is one of its uh, one of its biggest customers as well, um, and Qantas is a big shareholder too, as it?
1: Yeah, it's one of the forgotten travel companies, Kosh. You yeah. talk about Flight Center, Webjet, Corporate Travel. I'll disclose I own shares in Webjet and Corporate Travel. Uh, I don't own shares in Hello World, but it kind of is the, the fourth horseman, uh, if, if you want my apocalyptic reference. Uh, but it's also a business that really gets forgotten about a lot of the time. It's much smaller. And so that's probably fair enough. And it has been hit from pillar to post, as have all travel companies through the middle of the pandemic. The question for investors, I think, is two things. What it, One is how much permanent structural damage has been in the Hello World, if any. Secondly, how quickly... Can they recover based on the current share price? They're only trading about seven or eight times 2019 earnings, which if they can get back to that level sooner rather than later, is a really, really attractive price and time to pick up these shares. If they, if you know, if we hope that vaccination rates continue to increase. We all hope that eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, restrictions are lifted and travel recommences. And if that's the case and they can get back to 2019 levels of profitability in 12, 18 months, paying eight times earnings now. For a business that, you know, is going to get back to that level of earnings in 12 or 18 months, it's going to be a pretty good deal. You could probably get a, a reasonable, maybe you get a double in your share price if you're lucky, depending on what the market thinks the shares are worth. And then over time, if it's a sustainable recovery and growth, you're getting long-term growth plus potentially a pre-re-rating for a pretty cheap price. Now, there's a lot of ifs in that statement. That's the big question for me. Um, will the business go back to normal? Will they have to cut costs? Will the traveling public, business and leisure, do things differently in the future? I'm a bull on travel recovery, by the way. I think it'll be a time in the not-too-distant future where travel tops the 2019 levels, despite everything we've been through. We know cruise lines in the US are already taking bookings in a full four to six months out. Um, it, it's going to happen. We'll get back on planes. We'll get back in the skies. In fact, Sydney Airport and some of the airlines had record domestic travel in that short little lull between the two outbreaks in New South Wales uh, yeah. only a few months ago. So it's going to go back to normal. I, I don't mind Hello World as a business. It's not my favourite of the lot. As I said, I own corporate travel on WebJet, so I'm biased. But if I was going to go on the travel agency space, I'd go Webjet first, probably flights in a second. Well, I would do like corporate travel for its business focus, which Hello World doesn't have as much of, despite, as you say, that government contract. So um, I don't hate it. It's one maybe for the bargain hunter, maybe for the risk taker. Uh, but I think there are better options both in general and in the travel travel
0: sector in particular. Hmm. Howard? Yeah, I'd, I'd more or less go along with with that, um, except I'd probably put corporate travel first of the three in my picks. Uh, I own it as well. Um, uh, but uh, when an industry is being disrupted as travel has been you want to be invested in the strongest player or at least one of the two strongest players in the industry you don't really want to be in the third or fourth because what tends to happen when an industry gets disrupted is the weakest players go broke now I'm not suggesting hello world will go broke but a lot of much smaller players go broke and all their business lands up going to the remaining survivors so companies like corporate travel webjet flight center hello world will pick up business from all those companies that existed in 2019 that no longer will exist when we finally open up again so even if um scott's picture of it getting back to as busy as it was before doesn't quite eventuate i I think it probably will Um, but If it doesn't, and we only land up with an industry perhaps 80% of the size of what it was before, there'll be considerably more than 20% of the players, or the volume based on those players, will have disappeared. So the survivors will land up doing very, very well indeed. But certainly, uh, of the four that we've spoken about, um, Hello World would be my fourth pick, and hence... Um, from a team invest point of view, its return on equity is the lowest of the four. It's only had two, th- uh, two years out of 10 where its return on equity was more than 10%, whereas Corporate Travel and Flight Centre have had return on equity every year until the pandemic, right. uh, more than 10%, and WebJet most years. So, uh, you know, why pick the fourth worst uh, or fourth best? If we're picking a player for our IAFL team, uh, we'd prefer to take the number one pick rather than somebody in the fourth
2: round. Yep, that's a good point, both in agreement there and gives you a, a good insight into how, I think, uh, you guys, professional investors, think of different sectors, uh, go for the premium um, in in those sectors rather than... because sort of your risk profile goes up the, the further down the list that you go. Um, Kate wants a view, uh, Howard, on Medical Developments International. Now, Australian-based company, delivering emergency medical solutions. They do the green whistle, which is uh, a lot of paramedics um, take take around in ambulance for, for quick uh, pain relief, respiratory products. Uh, last financial year went into the red after they wrote off um, a, a fair bit on a project they're doing with the CSIRO um, from trading. Um, they made about $400,000 profit, but... Then went into the red after the write-offs uh, what do you what do you think of medical developments
0: well i love what they're doing and it's one of these companies that we so often come across and, and viewers so often ask about where i really hope they succeed because what they're doing is good for society but are they a good business to invest in not if you look at their numbers over the years I mean they've had pretty low return on equity year after year. The only two years they had decent return on equity was two thousand and twelve and thirteen um hasn't been once since um some years they actually make losses um you know there's a big difference between developing a great product and making a successful business that is profitable for shareholders and I think this is one of those that um in the long term, the best thing that could probably get happen happen to them is if they get bought by a company that's very successful at um, turning a profit out of medical devices, because while they seem to be terrifically good at development, so far, um, it doesn't seem like they're very good at making real money out of it. So uh, I think Team Invest members, again, would look at the numbers um, on our metrics and say, no, return on equity too low, profits too low, uh, earnings per share not going in the right direction, so, and uh, 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 no, but we hope they succeed.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Scott, you look at that five-year chart and a couple of years ago, it got to 10 bucks. Now it's yeah. at three. It's um, a fairly ugly chart too, isn't it?
1: It is, Koshy, and that's a good reminder, I think, for many people. If you are a true believer, you're going to have to have a long long periods of, of when the market simply disagrees with you in a meaningful way. In this case, losing, as you say, 60, 70% of the share price value Frankly, the business isn't doing anything much worse than it was. It Maybe investors are losing losing patience. That would be reasonable. Um, maybe they, they expected simply something earlier. Let's try and spit that out. Simply something earlier uh, and didn't get it. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to know what investors did expect. But this is a case where, yes, the business is not delivering on what it wants to do. But it's not a horrible business either. It's not going horribly badly. Now, to Howard's point, it's not necessarily doing fantastically well either. But it wasn't a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. And sentiment can be such a huge driver of short and medium-term share prices far in excess of the operating performance of the company itself. Was it ever worth $10? We'll find out. If this is a $25 share price in a couple of years' time, people will look back and say, see, it was worth waiting. If it was a $0.45 cent share price, then even the current price is too much. I think to Howard's point, I I am mindful this is not a business that's making money right now. And as you said, Koshi, that write-down really hurt them. What I do like about it is, at least unlike some others, it's managing to pay its own way, at least pre-write-down, while it tries to find that kind of explosive growth it's looking for. The Green Whistle is really impressive as a bit of technology. As Howard said, we all hope it's successful. It's important for a couple of reasons, but primarily because it's easy to transport and it doesn't. It's not an addictive substance like some of the other substances. There is a massive issue with pain relief, particularly in the back of ambulances in the US and around the world, fentanyl in particular, where it's being stolen, smuggled, self-injected by some medical staff. Um, the Green Whistle product basically has a drug that isn't addictive, and is not able to be taken in the same way as fentanyl and others. And so it is a really attractive idea. If it can sell itself, and not necessarily the business I was Howard said that would be one outcome as well. But if it can find a way to get into those European and US markets in a big way, that's why the, the, I think that's the promise a lot of investors are seeing. It's proven itself. I've actually used the green whistle before. I smashed my wrist in a motorbike accident many years ago. Mm. And it is fantastic. It's really, really good. So the product is wonderful. They just have not yet been able to convince the rest of the world to use it. And this is one of those situations where as an investor, you look at that and think, well, all I have to do is, but of course, the gap between that and finally getting a deal done in a large scale deal is a long, long way. As I said, at least it's profitable, at least it's making sales while we wait. So you kind of afford, if you're a risk tolerant investor, maybe they'll raise more capital over time, maybe it ends up being loss making, maybe the share price keeps falling, but at an operational level to business level, at least it's a, a functioning business that has some potential. I don't know. I'd necessarily buy it unless you're particularly risk tolerant. But it is one of the few in this kind of biotech space that at least is doing, you know, something to kind of keep the wolves away from the door. Whereas yeah. others tend to put the cap out every six or twelve months and raise more money.
2: Yeah, and and you hope the CSIRO project, even though they wrote it off because it was interrupted by COVID, hopefully it gets back yeah. on track because that sounds interesting too. Um, exactly. Uh, Scott David wants a view on Penghana Capital. David says, um, like to hear uh, the analysts discuss it. X Hunter Hall uh, releases monthly reports. We already know that their two biggest funds, Australian Equities and Emerging Equities, have hugely outperformed. They also run two listed funds as well that are doing very well. Um, what's the panel think, Scott?
1: Yeah, it is, it is an interesting business, Koshi. I really like funds management, generally speaking, as an industry, because it has two things going for it. The first is that we are saving and investing more money every single year in Australia through personal choice investments and also through mandated super. So that's a nice little or big tailwind for these businesses. The second is share prices tend to go up over time. Market capitalizations tend to rise over time. And that, again, is a benefit if you're a fund manager, you're clipping the ticket on the number, amount of assets under management. So, conceptually, you're already starting with some wind in the sails, and that's you know, that's not a bad starting point industry wide. Now, there are some issues with that fund uh, fees, hopefully, will keep coming down. Hopefully, for the rest of us who invest, because they have been too high for too long, and that is a headwind for Pengana. Um, and of course, you have to make sure you keep delivering performance and you keep people in your fund. It's very, very easy to change funds these days, particularly as wholesale mandates, where the wholesale fund manager says, Nope, I'll go from you and I'll take my money across the street i'll take it back again depending on fees depending on performance and returns other things so it's a competitive space but it's an attractive space i think for for long-term investors to at least be aware of i also like the fact that pingana is now almost 40 percent owned by solpats i'm a washington h sol pattinson shareholder i like the business i like mm. the people running that company um todd barlow and robert milner are great businessmen really good people the business has been around for 100 plus years and if they see some value in that um, then generally speaking, it's probably not a good idea for me to take an, an alternative view. Uh, they tend to be right more often than not. As I said, I'm an investor in the, in the company. So um, I've got my lot thrown in with them as well. I do like the opportunity. I will say the performance has been a bit up and down over the last four or five years. And so it's hard to draw a straight line through the thing and say it will obviously do well or it will obviously do better or it has a great track record that will keep, keep improving. The last three years though, have been sequential improvements, I'm hopeful, um, on behalf of Peng Garner, she holds an so insult, Pats, that this continues <laughs> to be an improvement story. Um, I think it is an attractive place to be. Look, it's not it's not super cheap. 17 times earnings, it's okay. I mean, you're buying banks more than that. So they're rather in a fund manager than a bank. So on balance, I think it's probably likely to outperform the market. Do I have a high level of conviction with that, given the check-in kind of last five or 10 years? Probably not just yet. So I'm going to sit on the fence on this one, Koshi. Probably a hold for us to make a call. Um, but as I said, I... Solpats are in it, that, that's a good sign for me. Uh, I'm indirectly a shareholder by definition, but uh, I wouldn't be buying shares directly in Pengana, but I do like the space.
2: Okay, all right. We're, we're going to be talking about Magellan in the same space mm-hmm. in the second half of the program, so we will be good to compare the two. Um, Howard, you're, uh, uh, you like um, Solpats, don't you? That Brickworks trio, uh, yeah. Milton Corporation. Yeah. You, you're impressed yeah, with their management. What do you think of Pingana?
0: Yeah, I mean, terrific management at Pats, Brickworks, etc. I mean, these are people who really, really focus on driving shareholder value, not by talking up the share price, <laughs> but by driving the businesses well um, and being uh, a, a good management. Uh, there's there's more to having a successful business than what you do. It's how you do it. Um, and, of course, fund managers have an, an extra a plus, that makes them often a good investment, and that is that they don't need very much equity. They're quite equity like, light, unlike the airlines, the opposite of airlines. So, you don't need a lot of capital to build your business. So, you've got a lot of uh, economies of scale once your business gets larger. That's all very positive, but uh, this hasn't been a particularly well-run fund manager when you look at its return on equity When when you think about the fact that fund managers need very little equity You'd expect return on equity to be very high as we'll see with Magellan This has pretty low return on equity for a fund manager That's not a good sign The second thing to be aware about with fund managers is all fund managers should have done very well in the last few years The reason is markets all around the world have been rising and, of course, through super funds and so on, we're putting more money in. But markets have been rising with interest rates dropping and, therefore, the fund managers all look like heroes even if they're not all that very good at what they do. When the markets turn one day when interest rates are higher, when inflation is higher and interest rates go up, markets turn down and whatever the fund manager went up, Uh, it will now come down a lot faster because they tend to go up faster than the market. They tend to come down faster than the market. So again, if you're going to be investing in a fund manager at all, um, you want to look for the one or two best. There are plenty to choose from. Australia has a plethora of fund managers. Um, But if you're going to invest in one of them, pick one of the best. And uh, in my view, Pengana, despite the terrific management, hasn't been the best so far. But with sold pets, uh, owning a a, a big piece of them, one would hope that that would improve over time. So like Scott, I'm not terribly anti, but, uh, you know, I don't think anybody in team investor would be overly enthused about this. They'd say there are a couple of better fund managers whose results have proven better over the years.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, Now, Shabir, um, Howard wants a view on Cenex Energy. Um, Shabir says, uh, recent... New gas sales agreement and share prices doubled in the last 12 months doing much better than other big oil and gas producers. Is it a good stock to buy to get exposure to the energy sector um, operate into they operate in two of Australia's leading energy regions uh, Surat Basin and the Cooper Basin uh, based in Brisbane. Um, do you have a, what's your view on Cenex energy
0: Howard? Yeah, you know, um, every now and then oil looks like a good investment and usually it looks like a good investment when the media trots out the um, old reports that they rehash every decade or so about peak oil and the world running out of oil. Now, as we know, the, the world's got more oil than we're ever going to use. As the uh, as Sheikh Yamani said many years ago, the Stone Age didn't end because the world ran out of stones and the oil age won't end because the world runs out of oil Um, and oil has become oil and gas uh, of course uh, non green uh, carbon intensive so it's become unpopular and that's why the oil and gas companies generally their share prices are pretty low however um, you know we're not going to suddenly tomorrow not be using any oil or any gas or, or using it for plastics or whatever so in the long term um the, the chances are these companies are worth more than they look like they're worth uh, on the stock exchange in terms of their prices at the moment but cenex again is not one i'd get very enthusiastic about again you want to buy the best one or two in the industry and if i look at its 10 years worth of history it's made a loss um four years out of ten it's made a profit six years out of ten and it's only a decent return on equity twice so why would you want to buy into a company that four years out of 10 is going to lose money, six years out of 10 make a profit. Why not rather invest in a company that makes a profit every year, 10 years out of 10? Mm. So on that basis, again, from a team invest perspective, we'd look at it and we'd say, even if we wanted to be in oil and gas, let's find another business instead. Yeah. Scott?
2: Scott?
1: Hard to argue with what Howard said generally, Koshi. I've probably got more tolerance for volatility, potentially. I guess the, the answer to Howard's rhetorical question might be if the total profit over that 10-year period is worth the price you're paying, you might want to do it. Now, as he says, if you can find better businesses that are more stable for the same price, then you do that because why take the risk that maybe that 10-year flow won't end up that way and all of a sudden you end up with 10 years of losses or something worse. Um, like, well you, do, you can't do worse than 10 out of 10 losses, you know what I mean. Um, yep. it, it's, a, it's a tough scenario to find yourself in. I don't love oil and gas costs, as you and our viewers know. Um, you're very, very, or you're entirely reliant on the oil and gas price, the oil price in particular, where it goes, goes, the share price, no matter how good you do operationally. This is one of those businesses, oil oil business in general, one of those businesses, if you, if you run it badly, you'll do badly. If you run it well, you could still do badly, or you could do really, really well, and the, the swing factor here is the oil price. You shouldn't be investing in Cenex unless you believe you have a reason to believe, and that's that's important, by the way, not just a guess, not just a finger in the air, a reason to believe the oil price will be this high or higher in future because the average earnings, both in terms of top and bottom line, will be absolutely a function of that oil price far more than anything else you can do on the upside. As I said, you can still run it badly, you can still send it broke with too much debt or uh, poor operations or too many costs. You can't really make a fortune unless the oil price rises and you really are taking a leverage bet on the oil price. That's it up to everyone else. I don't know that I have a view. Actually, I know I don't have a view on where the oil price will be in 3, 6, 12, 24, 36 months from here. I don't know you reasonably can, particularly with oil because the OPEC cartel controls the oil price. You can't even look at supply and demand and say, therefore, this should happen. It's supply and demand plus whatever OPEC decides. Now, that is the supply number by definition, but it's not a free-floating supply. It's not a responsive supply. It'll be whatever OPEC wants it to be in large case. Now, non-conventional, Oil and gas is forming a larger part of the supply story. And that does, frankly, actually put more pressure on the downside rather than the upside for the price. Uh, I just couldn't invest in Cenex. Uh, there's no way of knowing what the oil price will be. And if you don't know that, you can't predict profit. If yep. you don't know that, it's very, very hard to work out how much to pay for the shares.
2: Yep. Good point. Let's recap the, uh, the first five stocks. Stock of the day was Vulcan and O from, uh, from Howard and Scott. Same with Alliance Aviation. And Hello World, if you want to be in the uh, that travel sector, uh, Webjet, Flight Centre, Corporate Travel, uh, the preferred three, if you wanted to look in that sector from uh, both Howard and Scott. Uh, medical developments are no. Pengana, a hold from Scott, a no from Howard, and a no from Senex Energy. Uh, here on the call, we um, have been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, Nabtrade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up uh, from our expert panel go into the portfolio. Take a look at the returns for the week, uh, down 1.5% for the month, up uh, a third of a percent since the 1st of July this year, up 4% since the 1st of July last year, which was inception, up around 40%. Some of the uh, stocks recently added cluey pwr holdings resimac Terra, royalties and points bet some of the stocks recently removed by our expert panels uh, rio tinto Rays energy one and appen and if you want to take a look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio uh, let's get into the uh, second half of the call and scott uh, lauren wants a view on sonic healthcare the Medical diagnostics uh, group. They provide a lot of admin services to uh, and facilities to medical practitioners based in Sydney. Mm.
1: Mm. It's it done a remarkable job, Koshy, in the last 12 or 18 months. Funnily enough, because this little thing called COVID is done a heap of tests 30 million PCR tests, uh, 2 million, I want to call them serum tests, I can't what they call them, a serology test, that's what I'm looking for, uh, to date, as, as of the, the last announcement from the company. So, so every, every time
2: we've we, go and get tested and we go to these testing clinics, uh, yeah. we show our, our Medicare card, mm-hmm. it goes to the laboratories and the medical diagnostics like mm-hmm. Sonic Healthcare who get paid Correct. by the government. So they
1: nice nice they, they don't a day,
2: it. haven't they? <laughs>
1: That's all right. I mean, look, that, that is the base of our public health system. and It's a wonderful system. Yep. It just so happens that with so many of us getting tested so regularly. Um, and by the way, Sonic is, is an international business, not just an Australian business. But you're right, that that version of uh, what's happening around the country and in some parts of the world, some parts you just still have to pay. I've had a US colleague who's got to pay 200 bucks per COVID test, which is a whole wow. different conversation. Yeah. I thought so too. Anyway, so the good news is that Sonic has made a lot of money over the last 18 months. They, they, i would say good news. Obviously, terrible news about the pandemic, but uh, Sonic are doing very nicely. Make hay while the sun shines, as they say, or never waste a crisis, depending which way you want to look at it. Um, the challenge, I think, for investors now is to work out what comes next. If you look at the previous nine years, it's been a really slow and steady, but very slow and very steady increase in yearly profit. If you're looking for One of the most stable businesses on the ASX, you'd go very, very, uh, a very long way to get past Sonic. It has been a really, really methodical, slow step up business. The challenge is that the market's kind of caught up with the last year. And so it's trading on 16 times earnings. And your question really is, hang on, if the last year was a COVID year, maybe for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we have 30 million COVID tests a year because this is the new normal. Maybe vaccinations take over. We all kind of get COVID, but don't really do anything about it or somewhere in between. And that's the challenge when you look at Sonic's business. So ordinarily, pre this year, we would have discussed this slow, steady business. You could value it roughly on some sort of moderate, maybe low single digit, so no low uh, single digit yeah, growth rate, five, six percent, maybe if you're lucky a year. Okay, well, what do you want to pay for that? You'd work that out. You get some dividends. That's all very nice, and you get on with business. At the moment, the challenge with Sonic is that there's been this massive year. It kind of reminds me a little bit of maybe Blackmore's back in 2016-17, where it had this massive, massive boom in export sales to China. And, of course, that disappeared thanks in no small part to COVID but other things as well. Now, if those sales had continued, Black Wars was cheaper, 150 or 200 bucks a share. At 90 bucks a share, you've got to ask yourself, well, is it still as cheap? Because those times may or may not come back again. In yeah. Sonic's case, it is right in the middle of that boom. I don't know why I want to pay 16 times boom earnings. As said maybe it continues, but maybe it doesn't. The tide is all the way in on Sonic, in my view. Maybe it stays in, but if it starts to go back out, this price looks pretty expensive pretty quickly. I'd give it a miss.
0: Okay. Howard? Yeah, I think uh, pretty much agree with everything uh, Scott said, which I think was very well described. I mean, it, it's been a very, very good, steady performer, Scott says, but its growth rate's been really slow. Uh, I mean, it grew 50% in the previous 10 years, which is about 4% a year. So it, really, you're getting growth in earnings of about 4% a year, which means you probably can expect about 4% a year growth in share price. All of a sudden, in one year its earnings have gone from, uh, uh, what's it here, from $1.19 a share to $2.70 a share, more than doubled thanks to COVID. Now, that's fantastic for the business, but as Scott says, would you be prepared to pay 15, 16 times uh, peak earnings? Uh, And that's the question. So if you believe that uh you know we'll be testing a lot for several years to come, then this may carry on for another year, it may carry on for another two years. It's hard to imagine it's going to carry on much longer than that. Um, but it may. Uh, but more likely it's going to go back to somewhere closer to the growth rate that it had in the past. Now, its earnings may not go all the way back down to $1.19. Because people have become much more aware of being tested for all sorts of things. So we may find that it goes to a slightly higher plane, but, but expecting the earnings per share to continue at the current rate of $2.70 a share is probably uh, uh, living in a little bit of uh, a, a high level of too much optimism. So um, uh, I'd sort of say uh, maybe, um, you know, it's, it's a well run business. And if you believe COVID testing is going to go on for at least another year or two at the same level, maybe you can justify the current price. But um, certainly you can't if you think it's going to be going back close to the 4% growth rate it used to have uh, off that lower base. Uh, so probably either a weak yes from me or a That's probably the best, I can say.
2: And and also you've got government now talking um, about home testing kits here in Australia, which they have all through Europe and America. (laughs) And and the government haven't allowed them here and rapid antigen testing. So the way we test looks as though it's going to change going forward as well. Um, Shahana um, Howard wants a view on Magellan. Uh, She says, I'm a regular viewer of the show. Uh, Magellan's currently trading up March 2020 lows. This is one of the top, this is Shahana's question, this is one of the top quality largest fund managers investing now in external businesses, private equity like Baron Joey, which could add more earnings in the coming years. Current dividend yield of 5.8%. Is it a share you buy and forget for a long-term investor?
0: Yeah, I think a very good question. Look, there's no doubt that Magellan has been an extraordinarily successful business until the beginning of COVID. And um, clearly, um, they completely misread um, what would happen in the world economy and in the businesses that they were invested in and in business in general. Um, They made the um, sort of fairly common economic mistake of people who haven't lived through any recessions of saying, in a recession, all businesses suffer. But of course, that's not at all true. In a recession, the economy overall suffers, but the best business in each sector does extraordinarily well because lots of its competitors get knocked out. So the weakest businesses go to the wall, the strongest businesses come out of the recession in much better shape than they went in. So Magellan sat on a huge amount of cash in March and April next year, last year. They sold out of many of their positions and sat in cash just at the time that they should have been using their cash to invest. So I think it's, it's blotted their copybook a bit, and among our Team Invest members, uh, who were all very positive about Magellan, it's been passing our filters for years, the talk has now become that, yes, they do understand investing But they don't understand business in disruptive times and seeing as we've got disruptive times at the moment a lot of team invest members are much less excited about magellan than they used to be still got very high return on equity still got no debt as we'd expect but the worry our members have is with them buying into other businesses now if their understanding of how businesses operate in disruptive times is poor Will that make them good investors in outside businesses? And the general feeling among our members is no. However, the share price has come down quite a lot. So could it be a good investment at these prices? Probably, but their copybook is somewhat blotted in that um, there's a lot of doubt among our members now as to whether they uh, are going into something that they've shown they probably don't understand as well as they think they understand it.
2: Okay. Uh, Scott, what do you think? Because Magellan was the rock star fund manager for so long. Um, mm. And now over the last year, as Howard was saying, a lot of people have had doubts. You know, a lot of comp- And they're competing fund managers, so they'll always want to <laughs> uh, fire shots at Hamish Douglas and the, the team there saying they've got too big, uh, they're mm-hmm. not nimble enough anymore, it's a bit like Platinum when it got so big and Care Nilsen started to step away. Um, their time has passed. Has it? Or is this good buying at these levels?
1: That's a beautiful question, Kossi, really nicely put because you're exactly right. Platinum was the very example I was thinking of. And I don't necessarily agree that it's got too big or that it is the next Platinum. But, you know, funds have their time in the sun. And as I mentioned before, with, um, with the coming company with, was it um, with uh, medical developments? I'm oh, sorry, oh, yeah. in terms of the the share price fall of medical developments, yep. with no real change to the business, yet a yet a 70% fall in the share price. Sentiment can be a funny thing. And so, yes, they had a write down on Baron Joey. Um, yes, the business is, is maybe not doing quite so well. It is a much more difficult business to value now. They are buying uh, you know shares in individual private businesses, effectively bankrolling. Yeah. Uh, uh, Baron Joey, you know, this is a very difficult business now, a more difficult business to value, and sentiment can have a really, really overbearing impact on share prices in the short and medium term. I really like Magellan. I like the business that they're in. Uh, we like Funds Manager. I mentioned that about Pagana, as you rightly said. Um, it, it's, a, it's an attractive business. They're also investing overseas, and I've got to say as the Australian market gets more and more crowded with more people trying to get to the, 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 the increasingly large pool of investment funds, super and the like, if you can take an Australian business overseas to a much, much, much larger capital market, and frankly have you pick over there, some of those businesses are better than ours, some aren't, but some are. Um, you, you give yourself a, a whole new playing field. I like what Magellan is doing. I like the international focus. I like a lot of their investment companies. We looked at their um, their, their uh, fund holder letters, as we as you do with a whole lot of different funds, and the, their investments are, are really solid investments. To Howard's point, there is an open question about whether they are going to keep up with um, the disruption that we're going through. I'm, I would say, I'm a believer. But I think at the current price, given the falls, it pays currently 16.7 times the dividend yield trailing, 5.7%. Now, maybe things change. Of course, they could. Um, But if you're going to back a fund manager, you probably want to back one with a pretty good track record. I think Magellan is that business. Now, it could be like a platinum. It could, you know, mean reversion is a thing. And maybe um, Magellan has its time in the sun and someone else rises after Magellan and someone else after that and someone else after that. Maybe it's the next platinum or maybe it's not. Maybe it's the next Magellan and continues to go from strength to strength the, the hypergrowth is in the past it's done a spectacular job of marketing itself both to individual investors and most importantly to financial planners um now they they sponsored the ashes not that long ago um that that was kind of the, the height of you know popularity if you like when a fund mm. manager sponsors a cricket tournament uh particularly one like the ashes you know something's up and so the, the hyper growth is over in terms of attracting funds but i don't necessarily think their investment uh ability has gone uh, you've got to keep an eye on it, of course. You want to be a little bit careful. But given the given the industry attractiveness I mentioned before and Magellan's track record, and given the share price fall, I'd be happy to back them. Maybe you don't make a whole lot of money, maybe even lose a little bit. I don't think you're going to lose a lot. I think Magellan has got a, a long track record that justifies investing in Magellan over some of those other fund managers.
2: Okay. Uh, for the long term, and Shahana wanted that on the long term. Um, Frank wants a view on MA Financial Group. Previously, Mollus was... Uh, renamed. Is this the next Magellan? Um, Frank <laughs> says um, um, all financial metrics are at least uh, up at least double digit, EPS up 92%, assets under management 21%, fund inflow up threefold. They've increased their FY21 guidance. Will the good times continue for MOLIS? Of course, uh, I should mention um, it's run by Andrew Pridham, who's the chairman of the Sydney Swans and not a bad bloke, despite that. Um, <laughs> um, what do you think of uh, MA?
1: Mate, my, my AFL season was over weeks ago when the Swans got done by GWS by a point. So I'm all on the roosters of the NRL, so I'll, I'll give Andrew Prudem a pass. <laughs> um, it's, been, it's been a tough season. Um, look, it, it's an interesting business. I, I think all of the comments made are absolutely true. The last 12 months have been really, really good and the F21 guidance is very strong. So that that's all true. Um, assuming they hit those guidance, but they should know with reasonable ability. I'm always worried about businesses giving guidance. If you think about what has to happen for that guidance to come true, a market fall would cost it business, a business, a mandate being lost would cost a business. I, I worry when any business that doesn't control its future gives guidance because I think it's largely just because it's the old line that pundits don't forecast because they know, but because they're asked. I think CEOs are kind of the same, right? They're expected to give guidance, so they do. Uh, but you would hope that guidance is at least conservative, on the conservative side of realistic anyway. Um, the big question for me is price. It's currently 41 times earnings. Now, that probably allows for most of that in, in upside that we've just heard about. So I'm not saying it's necessarily overpriced at that level. It probably will grow into that valuation to some degree. The question is what then after that? Moe's has had a an interesting um, track record. It's been a little bit checkered before it, of course, became MA Financial. Um, a little bit checkered, ups and downs, good years and bad years. Again, I don't dislike the business, but it's one of those companies where, I like the industry a lot. I really like funds management. I think it's going to make a lot of money for a lot of people over a long period of time. But you can afford to be picky about which fund managers you follow. Given the choice, I'd go for Magellan. And Howard talked about you know, the, the preferred airline or the preferred um, travel agent. And in this case, I think, uh, you know, would it be a terrible investment? I don't think so. I don't think you're going to lose a lot of money. I just don't know whether the current price allows for yep. the volatility that's likely in funds managers over time. I'd happily buy Magellan or something else that was just simply a lot cheaper.
2: Okay. Okay. Howard, what do you think of M.A.? I Actually, only because I know Andrew got in on, on the float back in 1718 at $2.50. Then they did another raise at $5. It dropped after that and has sort of got back to that second raise level. And, and just recently it had another kick back up. I always thought I was hoping that it was sort of a mini Macquarie Bank. Uh, but whether that's the case, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, and again, on the same theme we've been talking about, if you want to buy the best one, of the three funds management or related businesses, this one's not entirely fund management, corporate advisory as yeah. well, but largely the same. If you wanted to buy into one of the three, Pingona, Magellan or uh, MA Financial Group, uh, without a doubt, it's Magellan. Right. Uh, again, if you, you, you want to pick the one that is uh, the, the best in the area. And even though they... In my opinion, blotted their copybook affair, but with the misunderstanding of the of the economic effects of the pandemic on businesses, still they the best by far, and if, and that's borne out looking at its numbers. If you look at MA Financial, its return on equity is about a third or less of Magellan's. Um, its earnings per share has been up and down. Um, this is not a business to get excited about. Um, And although they've announced that they're going to have a very good year, that's because their financial year ends in December. So instead of reporting fabulous results, as most others have reported for uh, for June, (coughs) 30 June, they'll be reporting it for 30 December. But between now and uh, 30 December, who knows what could happen on the markets? Mm. And as Scott said, you know, they're not masters of their own destiny when they... Um, relying on uh, mandates from other people and what the markets may do between now and then. So, uh, you know, uh, a a no from me. And uh, if I had to pick a fund manager out of the three we've done today, without a doubt, head and shoulders, it would be Magellan, despite my negative comments about them.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, Howard, Cam wants a view on COCOL, a a coal mining uh, business, but with uh, mines in... um, in Indonesia, uh, one in central Kalimantan and uh, another project in West Kalimantan. Uh, So coal business, doing business in Indonesia.
0: Yeah, and doing it unprofitably. Um, It's as far as I can see, it's um, never made a profit in its history. It's had 10 years of making losses. (laughs) Um, It's lost something like 100% of shareholders equity every year, which means it's had to come to the market for a capital raising pretty much every year. Um, you know, there were 338 million shares 10 years ago, 411 million the next year, 471 million two years later, 499 a year after that, 593 two years later, etc., etc. And now there's almost a billion shares. And by the looks of the amount of money they're losing, they'll be doing a capital raising again sometime soon. So what this company seems to be, uh, or what our members of Team Invest would probably joke this company seems to be really good at, is raising capital, but it doesn't seem to be, from what we can see, terribly good at running coal mines um, or finding the right coal mines and digging the right holes in the ground or whatever to dig out the coal and sell it profitably. So on an an investment theme, uh, a shudder, definite no from from anybody (laughs) in Team Invest.
2: All right, Scott, um, yesterday Cor- um, Gaurav and, and Maiton looked at Coronado, um, same sort of sector, coal mining and said, look, uh, uh, Whitehaven and New Hope are about the only two in that sector they'd look at. Um, would you look at Kogel?
1: I don't think so, Koshi. Look, you know, the, the other thing we haven't mentioned, of course, is the is the impact of climate change, either climate change itself and or government response to that. Real or imagined, take your pick. Uh, they're going to make some changes to the amount of coal that can be taken out of the ground. Do you want to be trying to develop new coal mines in this sort of environment? I very much doubt it. You probably want to, if you want to play in this space, go with the existing uh, players with known deposits, with sh- super great operating abilities. New Hope, by the way, also part of the Sol Pats family. This is kind of the, the yep. Pats show today. Um, but again, real, probably the best regarded management in the business, not only Sol Pats, but New Hope as well itself. Um, really focused on costs, really want to make maximize shareholder returns. And as opposed to raising capital, as Howard rightly said, look, Coco's got the opportunity like many other small would be giants to actually make a lot of money for a lot of people if they manage to strike it rich. If only only going to look at Vulcan Energy, we talked about at the top to see the sort of yep. returns you can get if investors fall in love with the stock you own. Uh, but it's got to actually deliver on that promise. Yeah, Coco, maybe it does fine. Maybe it does great for all I know. Um, but it's one of those things where you're kind of buying a lotto ticket. If you want to play in the coal space, I would go New Hope, unsurprisingly, uh, probably with White White Haven a distant second.
2: Yeah, yeah, and interesting, despite all the ESG concerns, coal prices at record highs at the moment, because yeah. but we still got a producer. There are still lots of power Correct. companies being run on. Yeah. Uh, just quickly, guys, because we're running out of time, Richard um, uh, Scott wants a view on Horizon, the uh, the big rail um, operator, mm. mainly in the central Queensland cold network taking coal to all the uh, the loaders on the coast?
1: Mm-hmm. I don't mind a rise in Koshi. It's relatively inexpensive at 13 times earnings. Dividend yield of currently seven or so percent. Seven and a half percent according to my numbers, actually. Wow. Um, that's a really, really attractive yield for a very um, ordinary, I don't mean ordinary is it bad, it's been literally you know, boring business. Uh, trucking coal to the coast, it's, it's a pretty good business. I am a little bit concerned that As you say, we're kind of at the best of times for coal right now, ironically, given the long-term potential risks. uh, The current price is pretty high, plenty of volume going through those rail networks. Even though there's largely take-or-pay contracts, we've seen those go badly in the past because either the take-or-pay contract writers refuse to pay or go broke or both. Um, This might well be the best of times share price-wise for Horizon. Best case scenario is you get a very decent but boring return with not much growth. There's probably downside from there. So one of those things where heads I win a bit, tails I could lose a lot. That's not the sort of bet I right. generally like to make. But if you want a fully franked income, 7.5% yield, even if it's 65 eventually or 5 still very, very hard to go past, particularly in a diversified basis. One for income investors, I wouldn't be buying it for total return.
0: Okay. Howard, just quickly, your horizon. And- yeah, pretty much same thing. Um, Earnings per share have been pretty flat over the last 10 years. It was 29.9 cents in 2014, or not quite 10 years, 29.3 cents now. So it's really gone nowhere. So all you're relying on is the dividend yield. So your total return is going to be approximately equal to your dividend yield um, unless the market gets suddenly very excited about it. And on that basis, it wouldn't be a wealth winner. So from a team invest point of view, A No, but it won't be a capital killer either. They'll still be hauling coal a decade from now, I'm quite sure. Even if uh, climate change becomes a bigger worry for governments, there'll still be coal being hauled in 10 years' time. But I can't see anybody making any significant money other than the dividend yield out of this company.
2: Gentlemen, we've got a dash. Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Always great to uh, spend time with you. Likewise, Scott Phillips from uh, Motley Fool. Thank you, gents. Enjoy the rest of the week. Good on you. Uh, recap, uh, Sonic Health, a no, Magellan, a uh, sort of no from Howard, a yes from Scott, MA Financial, a no, Coca a no, a uh, rise a no from Howard. Um, and for Scott, sort of pretty boring. Um, only if you're an income investor and what that 7% yield uh, total return doesn't really stack up. That's our show for today. If you'd like to uh, shoot through any stocks you'd like us to adjudicate on, uh, in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the Osbiz TV handle. Uh, All the stocks in the calls portfolio, you can see the whole portfolio, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Look forward to your company same time tomorrow for the call.